Hi, I'm Melissa Boyles. Welcome to Moving Arizona, the podcast for transportation geeks like me who want to hear from the people who are shaping our industry. Someone who has been a part of the transportation industry for over 30 years is my guest on this episode, Jesse Gutierrez. Jesse is the current new Deputy Director for the Maricopa County Department of Transportation. He previously worked with the Arizona Department of Transportation, where he worked on a statewide basis with Greater Arizona and the Rural Communities and the Construction and Maintenance Divisions. And previous to that, he was a resident engineer in the Tucson area. Jesse Hales from Douglas, Arizona. He is an Arizona native, a proud U of A graduate, and someone who has been a mentor to many people within the industry. I'm excited to share with you my interview with Jesse and a little bit about his background and some words of wisdom about people that are looking to grow their career in the transportation industry. So without further ado, let's talk to Jesse. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you so much for joining me on Moving Arizona. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. You have some exciting news. Almost a month now you've been at the Maricopa County Department of Transportation. Yes, uh, close to a month, just finishing the third week and into the fourth week. Awesome. You want to talk a little bit about your role at McDot? I know you had a pretty important role at ADOT, too. Well, my new role at McDot is uh, essentially as deputy director is to support our director, Jennifer Toff, in all the operations. My initial focus is in the construction, inspection, permitting, facilities management, and asset management, and of course, all the maintenance countywide. So it's a huge area, and that's my initial focus. And I'll support Jennifer and the rest of the team with the engineering, the planning side of the house, communications as we move forward. So what's it like to work for Jennifer Toth? Well, Jennifer, I was fortunate enough to work uh, a few levels below her position when she was at the state. I was a district engineer and she was our state engineer. And at the time, my few interactions I had with her at the time were always very pleasant, professional. She's very upbeat and very organized and straightforward. And now as a direct report, I can't say enough about her leadership style and her demeanor. She's very calm, cool, very straightforward. She's a compassionate leader. She's driven. She's extremely organized and well-prepared for any situation. And those traits in a leader are just tremendous. Her patience, her diligence, extremely smart individual. So I couldn't ask for a better leader. And so it's great to work for her. It was great to work for her before. And great to look for now. So I understand your role with McDodd. That's a new position. They had Teresa Wellborn, who I also interviewed on Moving Arizona, but she was Jen's right-hand person for quite some time. And then she retired. But this deputy director role was a position that was created, I think, with a succession plan in mind down the road. And really, for you to come into the organization at that level, is that right? I would expect, yes. Simply stating that when the position for deputy director is created, 
the expectations in, in most any organization is to have an individual there who will be able to work up into the directorship role and fulfill that role with the expectation of doing it on an interim basis when, when the director is obviously out. But in the long, and that's in the short term, obviously, but in the long term, it's more of, I think, the opportunity for succession. And certainly that was um, discussions early on when I was talking to McDot. And you're right. Yeah, it's, it's really about a good organization, a good leader is always preparing subordinates to move up in the ranks. And frankly, individuals to move up and take take their role if and when needed. So succession is a big part of, of this position. Yeah, and I, you know, Jen, from what I understand, she's three or four years away from retirement, but that's a good amount of time to get familiar with the organization to affect your own level of change as the deputy director and, and kind of grow things in the direction that you would like to before considering a role like Jen's role in the future. Yeah, certainly. I mean, Jennifer has certainly moved this department in a great direction. Everything I see is running very well. Again, it's all very organized, tremendous amount of trust and respect throughout the organization, and not only in our department, but in other departments that interact with McDot, I just see that professionalism and respect that they give the the department. And I attribute it directly to Jennifer's leadership. She is a tremendous leader, but you you also are a leader in your role, both at McDot, but then also in the role that you left with ADOT. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you did for the state? Certainly. Initially, I was a uh, district engineer, Globe District, for two years. And then the opportunity arose where I interviewed and was successful to take the uh, deputy state engineer for operations. And what that means is essentially all the districts in the state report up to that deputy. The construction, maintenance of the entire state flows through that area. So it was really a little over a thousand employees and seven districts responsible for all the maintenance and all the construction, about 140 projects a year of construction that my area was responsible for. And I can honestly say that we made tremendous improvements in how we delivered the projects both on time and on budget, as well as uh, improvements on how we maintained and operated our roadways. And I'm very proud to say uh, of the teams that they they did a fantastic job of embracing new concepts and technology to make that happen. And that was my primary role is to support all the districts in delivering these projects and in, in the maintenance aspect of our mission. So it's really due to their responsiveness to my leadership style and management style that I think we got along very well. And we're able to to work cohesively as one team to make things work. So that's the highlight of my time with ADOT. How would you describe your leadership style, your management style? So leadership style, management style, for some reason, I 
kind of separate it just a little bit. I take the management aspect of it as more of the day-to-day operational type of work. They go hand in hand, but the management style is more of how I operate and the leadership style is more of the philosophy and culture that I try to bring to the organization. So the management style is partially autocratic and partially participatory. What I mean by that? So when you're autocratic, there are certain things that you just have to put out there and say, this is the direction, this is what you're going to do. There's no debating this. There are certain things that you just have to put out there as, as a leader, as a manager. This is your directive. You got to do it. And you can think of very simple examples. You have to come to work and get in your piece of equipment and plow. There's no if, ands, or buts. We have to do that. There is no teleworking a snow plow from, you know, at least not yet. Maybe in the future there could be. There's some things that we have to come to work. You cannot, you know, misbehave on duty. Those are very autocratic, straightforward. This is your direction. No choice. The participatory part of it is when we start looking at initiatives, we're trying to push forward some tactics to improve our efficiency, our safety, our effectiveness, whatever it might be. What I like to do is get input from the team. That's why I call that participatory management. Like what works best? What do you guys and gals think? Can we get this done? How's the best way to do it? Do you have any ideas? The goal might be as simple as getting through a weekend of heavy traffic on a holiday weekend through one of our busy corridors. Is there ways to minimize the backups and increase efficiency of traffic flow? What have you seen as who lives here? Payson, for example, or you know, areas through Flag, some of the holidays on State Route 87 on through Payson, they get really backed up. And if we do certain things, it makes flow of traffic just a little bit better. The fact that the individuals who deal with it year to year, season to season, they have a particular view of how things work and what works and what doesn't work. Bringing them into the discussion in management is very, very critical so that you can get their input and possibly use their input into the tactics and back up into the strategy of how to make an initiative, an incentive, something that you want to get done work a little better. Going to the leadership part of the discussion, as a leader, it is important to me that everybody I work with up and down the chain of command have a certain level of trust, that they can trust in me to do what I say I'm going to do, and that I'm going to follow through, that I'm going to be responsive and make quick decisions, not linger on decisions and let things fester, so to speak, that I'm going to be decisive, I'm going to have an aggressive stance, and aggressive meaning proactive. That type of leadership style that gets things done, but does it in a way where you can treat people with dignity and respect and not step over people, but let them know that you're there to get a job done. And we're all one team and we need to get the job done as a team, but that it can be done in harmony. It doesn't have to be full of friction and drama. It could be a little more on the fun side if we're thinking right, planning right, and we have the right attitude, it could get done and not be as painful as some people might make it to be. That's the kind of leadership style that I like to bring to an organization. It's a very personalized style, but it's sometimes difficult because of frustrations or bureaucracy or red tape, but that's what an individual has to work on is to have that patience to listen and understand and see all the viewpoints and all the directions 
when you put all that together and do it in fast succession, it could be taxing, but it's also extremely rewarding. And that's, that's where I come from. I think that putting that out there like that in a, I don't want to say a normal organization, but like in a corporate environment or a a business office is one thing, but really instilling that kind of a mindset and that kind of leadership when you're talking about delivering, you said 140 construction projects a year, like you're talking about closing roads and very intense environments where you've got the traveling public, you've got safety issues, you've got issues with materials and closures and potential accidents. So I could see where that's super intense, but trying to instill a little bit of fun while you're still taking all of those very, very serious considerations into mind, I could see where that would be really challenging. Yes, extremely challenging. The fact that the challenges are there are, I think, what drive many of us to try to excel and succeed in that arena. And again, you know, I just touched on a couple of points of leadership, and I mentioned some of the traits early on that our leader, I think, God has, and some of the ones that are critical in the field as well as in any leadership role is that communication. You have to be a great communicator up and down the chain of command. That is ultra critical. That communication style changes every direction you go. And you have to tailor the communication when you're speaking with your superiors, when you're speaking with subordinates, when you're speaking with the public. It's a tailored communication that has to fit every different entity and every different stakeholder because if you're not careful the way that you communicate the one area, one group or individuals can make the difference of whether you succeed or not. And whether you succeed or not, not only as an individual, but I'm talking whether you succeed as a team. And that is super critical. There's so many aspects to leadership and management, but communication is paramount. And without the communication, without very specific focus, you will very quickly get caught behind the eight ball. Each audience is going to have a different set of priorities. If it's the traveling public, they want ease of access. If you're a business owner or a resident, you don't want your access blocked. If you're a state transportation board member, you've got a a whole different perspective of what's happening in my part of the state or for the communities I'm representing. So you just have to have in mind what that individual or what that organization's priorities would be. Absolutely. And that's where you, as a leader, as a manager, you need to be politically astute and you need to understand the communities that you're working in. You need to understand what each stakeholder within a specific area is their primary concern and their primary issue. So that when you do communicate, you can express to each different individual or each entity the portion that they are interested in. You hit it on the head. A neighborhood doesn't want to be too concerned about certain aspects of the construction. They want to understand how quick it's going to be done and how soon the interruption is going to be over. Now, traveling public wants to know, How quickly can I get through here? I don't want to be interrupted, delayed in a construction project. The last thing they're concerned with is the size of the girders or the strength of the concrete in the uh, deck slab, whereas other areas, that is it. And really being able to pick up on that and understand that early on is critical for each member of the team because interaction doesn't just come at the very top. It's not just the leader who does that. Informing, and that's where I talk about the communication, is critical early on. 
communication from the leader to the team leaders and to the field staff so that they understand exactly what we're trying to accomplish, how we're trying to accomplish timeframes and methodologies so that they fully understand our strategic vision and goal. And then they understand how we're going to implement it tactically. They can then take that message not only to their staff, but they'll be empowered to be able to talk to individuals when they get approached in questions. And they'll be able to speak to it because they're very close to it and they understand exactly what they're doing. And the communication spreads out throughout our team and everybody on the team knows exactly what direction we're going and when. And they're able to talk to it with confidence and with ease and they can start earning the trust of each one of these stakeholders because they're putting the message out directly and they're getting it right from what the public considers straight from the horse's mouth. This is the person who was right there. They told me they're going to be done in such and such a time. And when it gets done, they have a tremendous amount of trust in the organization and in the department. And moving forward, that kind of communication that permeates throughout our teams so that everybody's empowered with the knowledge and educated with the principles of what we're trying to accomplish and how we're going to accomplish it makes us a much better organization and industry-wide we would be remiss if we did not try to implement that type of communication and understanding throughout everybody in the industry so that when they're out there, they're a representative of our industry and we can all work together to move our industry forward and gain the trust of the public that they know these individuals, these teams, these organizations from the bottom up are good stewards of the taxpayer's money. And that is what my leadership is trying to push as a secondary a primary goal is obviously to deliver the projects today and get the projects done on time, on budget, on schedule. That's a primary goal. But secondary to that is the fact that we empower all our employees to be able to permeate the message of trust throughout the industry and throughout the public. So those are key aspects that moving forward we need to embrace so that we can uh, possibly find alternative funding sources for our infrastructure. We hear that discussion on and on every day. And how are we funded? Why don't we have enough money to do this project or that project? We need more funding to accomplish this work, that work, whatever it might be, whether it's new uh, construction or maintenance projects, improving infrastructure or maintaining infrastructure. We nationally have a shortfall. And in, in Arizona, we also have, as everyone knows, a shortfall. We're lacking funding. So where do we get those funding sources? There's a billion different ideas. But from my viewpoint, we need to make sure that the public trusts each and every one of us in the industry to be a good steward of that money when they do find it, to use it wisely, to use it effectively and efficiently for building and maintaining infrastructure. Uh, If we get the trust of the public, I think we'll be in really good shape moving forward. But that trust starts with leadership. It starts with having the open communication with your team and the team feeling informed and understanding, like you were saying, the priorities, the mission, the purpose, the reason for what you're doing from a day-to-day perspective and how their role impacts the organization and the community overall. And you have their trust, therefore they can go out and be that representative or that steward on behalf of taxpayers' dollars for the community. And if they didn't have trust in you, they wouldn't be able to do that for the community. Absolutely. You hit it on the head. 
And that is what it's really all about. That when somebody says something on my behalf, they are comfortable that they are speaking the truth, that they're speaking logically, and that they are bringing a value-added discussion to the community. It's, it's not just a company line or something to, to please an individual to have them stop complaining. It's not about that. It's about bringing the reality of what we're trying to accomplish forward. And sometimes the public doesn't like to hear some of the discussions. Yes, the road has to be closed for these next three days. But if we don't close it for three days, we could close it a couple hours at a time each evening, but we'll be there for weeks. It, the impact is much more when you add it up in time-wise because of the loss of efficiencies, loss of the economy of scale that we get by closing the road completely and having the entire contractor team, subs, equipment there all at once to get it all done at once. We can get a roadway done and open to the public that much quicker than if we did it the other way, little bits and pieces, a spoon at a time, as I say, it would take much longer, the impact much longer. But when you're straightforward and you explain that to the traveling public, you find more times than not, they understand and they agree with it. Might not be happy with it, but they understand that you're trying to be effective and efficient and trying to do it the best way possible. So it's those types of discussions that we need to have and be upfront when it comes to some of the work we're doing. And that's just a very simple example, but it goes much deeper than that, as you know. But it starts with arming people with information. When people that mm -hmm. are, you know, the boots on the ground, the, that first interface with a stakeholder, which whichever stakeholder that is, whether it's Director Holokowski and he's talking to the State Transportation Board or it's a construction supervisor who is, you know, field inspector or something that is out there dealing with a resident or a, a business owner, if they're informed, there's a level of trust and there's a level of confidence in, in what they're communicating to their stakeholder. Absolutely. And that's what's so critical about communication. It's building the trust with the stakeholders, building the trust with the public. Switching gears just a little bit. Can we talk a little bit about your background? So, yes, my background. Yeah. I graduated from Douglas High School and then came to the U of A. Late 80s, early 90s, I worked for a uh, private consultant firm where I did entry-level work. Obviously, I was like a draftsman slash runner slash do everything kind of guy. And as I worked and learned and went to school and was around the industry, I became like a construction inspector for smaller projects. After working for that engineering firm for a few years, I was hired by and I was a construction inspector for Pima County for a little over a year. And then um, took a job at the city of Tucson. I uh, had a promotional opportunity, became an inspector with the city of Tucson. And there at the city of Tucson, I worked in every capacity in the construction side of the house, moving up from construction inspector to lead inspector to supervisory inspector, EIT, engineer, project manager, and then engineering manager, where I then was asked to be construction manager for the Tucson Modern Streetcar, a $200 million project. That was the last project I built for the city of Tucson before I moved to ADOT. So that whole span I just talked about is about 20 years worth of work. And after 
I was finishing up the modern streetcar, which has been the only U.S.-made streetcar in the United States for 60 years. Wow. Every other light rail or any kind of rail project like that, the cars and the rail are not built in the United States. They're all imported. So this was the only United States-made streetcar 60 years. So $200 million project for a city is rather large uh, FDA project, a huge tiger grant at the time, and a very interesting was able to interact with the folks throughout the nation, contractors throughout the nation, really to get the education on how to build the things that I had not really been part of before. Everything from traction power substations to, you know, overhead 600 volt DC lines, you know, to manufacturing streetcars in Portland and going through that whole process in the rail itself, going out to too many different places around the country to see how it was done and what did we want done in our city and our project. So that was extremely educating and fun, a tremendous challenge. For finishing that project, I had the opportunity to become a district engineer for ADOT and I jumped at the chance. I took over the, the Globe District with uh, about 130 employees. The districts were a little different than they are now. I'll get to that in a minute. But I took on that challenge and really helped improve some of the processes and really got the district moving forward to a point where I think they became very effective and very efficient as a district. Great group of people and gave me an opportunity to learn and understand ADOT. So almost exactly two years into the job, I had an opportunity to become the deputy state engineer for operations. That was another huge challenge, and I took that on. And uh, we rarely have those kind of opportunities to to make those kind of jumps and take on those types of responsibilities so quickly. I think I excelled at that position and did, did some tremendous things that are in place today. I've only been gone a month. So it's a sad thing in the sense I miss all the people that I've created such close ties with and worked so closely and so hard to accomplish so much. Uh, it's difficult to move on to a different organization. But that works as a deputy state engineer with, like I said, a little over a thousand employees in that branch was very rewarding. I could never forget all the challenges and all the successes we had. And more importantly, I'll never forget the people I got to work. I know all the, we have 53 units and I know all the supervisors in each unit, in each location. I've visited them all over the years, spent time with them, and each one posed a different type of challenge, not only because of the types of roadways they had, but the geography, the climate, the culture, the political atmosphere. Everyone had a different feel and their own identity. And that was very unique and, again, a very rewarding experience. And I'll miss all the people tremendously. But that's kind of where my background in that comes from. I have a business degree and an engineer, a master's in engineering. So I understand the business side of things when it comes to the construction. I understand the maintenance side of the house because of the work I've done. And the engineering component is just helps round things out. How we build in constructing. So generally speaking, that's my background. Come from a long line of working in, in this industry, a little over 30 years actually formally working in it, but uh, 
even before I started working after graduation, when I was a youngster, my parents owned a small development kind of operation that built houses and apartments and things like that. So I was around the building side of things even before I formally began truly working as part of the industry. So I've been around equipment and crews pretty much my whole life. So I've seen that interaction for a long time. And I think that's where it helps me tremendously to get along with people and understand everybody we're working with is really out there trying to earn a living and take care of their family and provide for their family. They're all just trying to make a living. And when you get to the roots and get to the basics of what we're trying to do, it all becomes very, very simple. So I remain grounded for those reasons because of my roots and what I've been around and everything I've been fortunate to see and experience. I think being a good leader requires equal parts humility and confidence, right? So coming from Mm -hmm. a modest background and kind of working your way up, you get to see a lot of different perspectives and having the empathy for those frontline people actually, I think, makes you a more effective leader. I agree. I think I'm fortunate to have been able to work my way through the industry in that fashion because you hit it on the head. Having that perspective really gives you the opportunity to understand everybody you're working with and really where they're coming from and how to interact with them and without hurting people's feelings. It's it's really that simple. It might sound a little bit touchy-feely, especially coming from you know, a hardcore construction builder, heavy equipment operator kind of guy, but it really is that simple. And I did mention I did play football at U of A, but the positions I played at the time I played the U of A had some very good ball players in those positions. It was a linebacker core that consisted of Ricky Hundley, Lamont Hundley, and Byron Evans. And then the other position I played was I was a kicker. So between those players, there's five or six years that they were all all American. So all American football players. And some got to go to most of them played pro and they were very good professional football players. So needless to say, you wouldn't probably see me on the field too often. I focused on engineering instead. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, lucky for us. <laughs> Just a little tidbit. Yeah, a little thank you. A little tidbit <laughs> of information. Football was, a, again, another team building sport where yep. y- you work together. If you don't work together, it's, it's a done deal. So I was very fortunate to be part of some of Larry Smith's teams for, uh, for a few years and really enjoyed that. But after realizing, you know what, I'm not going to be a post football player. I better start working on, I'm going to earn a living the rest of my life, right? <laughs> that was pretty clear after like the first or second day of practice when I saw everybody show up. I'm like, wow, these guys are really, really good. So it was a great time. I did it for fun and I did it to be able to, uh, to enjoy one of the things that I always like to enjoy is sports and playing being part of the team. So that was a very good transition when I left high school and went to the UA. That's, I think, an important life lesson, though, right? Because at least for me, like the organizations I've been involved with, you're not always the point person. You're not always the star athlete that's out there on the field, but you're still part of the team and you're still contributing and your contributions are important regardless of whether you're that star athlete or not. And I think that that's something that a lot of people don't really think about. From my perspective, like all boats rise together, right? Like whether you're the receptionist or you're the CEO, you're all contributing to the success of your organization. Absolutely. That was an early lesson. And, you know, as an 18-year-old kid, you know, I was the, I was the captain of the football team, I was a star there. I was a, 
a captain of our wrestling team, or, you know, a small town. We were relatively good in most of our sports, so I enjoyed those times. And then going to Division One program at U of A, and they had good teams. It was really, uh, wow, you know, I'm, I understood I wasn't coming, coming to the team to be the, the superstar on day one. But realizing when you show up to the field that there's 80, 90 guys standing next to you, that almost all of them are bigger, stronger, and faster. And it really helps put things in perspective. And that's why what I expected, fully expected to see that. But until you experience it firsthand, then you, then you don't, you, you realize at that point in time, yeah, that's okay. That's what I thought. That's okay. This is what I expected. But uh, it's really eye opening. But it's also reassuring at the same time that uh, your expectations were spot on. So, yeah, again, it's not so much humbling, but it's reassuring. And that is the difference between being grounded in reality that I spoke about before versus having a mindset that is incongruent with what is really going on around you. And that situational awareness is one of the things that I like to coach and teach anyone I work with. It's part of those skills I talked about before, whether it's communication or treating people with dignity. It's it's the situational awareness. You have to be aware of everything that's going on around you to really understand. And until you do that, you might be a little bit lost. So it's reassuring when you have that situational awareness and your expectations are all kind of lined up and you feel very comfortable and confident about your surroundings and what you're trying to accomplish. And that's part of that leadership and instilling that in your team so that they can be confident about what they're doing and they can feel comfortable to execute and to be part of a team and to support others and to pass on that knowledge and that experience to others so that we can keep that synergy, keep that energy flowing and really be successful. And I talk about so much about the industry and the work we do, but it's about being successful as an individual, as a person, be successful at home, to be respectful and be a good person, not only when you're at work. It's about being like that all the time. And that that's really the ultimate goal. And I talk about these secondary things. My job is to really get folks to be effective, efficient, to be safe, to be mindful at work. But if I can help them in any way, shape, or form, push that into their personal life, their home life, so that they're that much more comfortable as individuals and confident as individuals, then I feel I've really helped the people I work with in helping our community to grow stronger. And that's what it's really about. You talk about helping people and helping them grow personally and professionally. One of the questions I always like to ask our guests is about mentorship. And I know several people that see you as a mentor and look to you as a role model. You know, part of our audience for this podcast is a WTS mentorship group. There are young ladies that are, that are entering into the industry now. Can you share words of wisdom, advice that you would like to pass on to them looking back over your career? Absolutely. I've been a great supporter of WTS for a long time. And I think that going back to my career, I was one of the first managers who promoted up a female resident engineer to take over multiple projects in certain instances and really gave opportunities for female inspectors as well as engineers and project managers. 
I supported anybody who had the will, the drive, and the ambition to succeed. And I can say that I've worked for several individuals who were not only great people, but mentors to me in different ways throughout my entire career. And I've looked to them for guidance to learn from them in terms of what can I learn from this individual so that'll make me a better person. So if I can give any advice to folks out there is look to those individuals who are not only successful in what they do at work, but are successful in life and try to emulate their mindset. You don't try to copy them. Don't try to be exactly like them because you're your own individual, but take those traits work to identify the traits that make them successful. And you'll find that it's things like compassion, focus. You'll find that the communication skills, which need to be practiced, very few individuals just have those great communication skills. Some leaders are born with a lot of these skills. Like I think Jennifer Toth, she was born with these skills. They just come natural. And others to become leaders like me, I have I have to be deliberate in my thoughts of what am I trying to say? What am I trying to accomplish? Um, You have to be maintaining that focus. So it's those kinds of things that I would say to young individuals that when you emulate those traits that make people successful, work on identifying what is it that makes this person successful. And like I said, it's not being the smartest person, not being the strongest or the biggest or the fastest. It's about those intangibles that just make a person a true leader um, that communicate, that treat people with respect and dignity and have the outlook, the vision, forward-looking, look at the positive side of things, try to find the good in people, try to find the good in situations, light on their feet, don't get too hung up with holding themselves, beating themselves up. We all make mistakes, learn from those mistakes so that we can move forward and improve when we feel we're coming into a similar situation. We have that training already. We've already made that mistake. (laughs) Not to make it again. Um, It's really those, the simplest things that translate into a solid foundation to make you a leader. And then you take your own personality, your own passion, your own drive, mix that together, and you become a person that others will want to follow, emulate so that they can be successful. So those are the kind of things that I would really encourage others to look at. There's a million self-help books out there, a lot of leadership books and training and a lot of things out there. And many of those will talk about tactics and strategic ways of how to accomplish things. But I strongly urge each and everybody to look at the basics, to dig deep down inside and build a foundation that will carry all these tactics on its shoulders. When you have that strong foundation built on mutual respect, the compassion, the fact that you're a positive person, you build it on that and you'll have no problem packing all these tactics and strategies on top of those to to make you successful. It's really the best advice I can give. So it really comes from inside uh, wanting to be a good person and help your fellow worker, your fellow neighbor, and help the community become a better place for all of us. Well, that's outstanding advice. And I think we can all follow the advice of trying to be first, be a good person, and then look to the people that we admire and identify those traits about them that we admire and and emulate that. That's a very accomplishable thing to do, I think, as far as advice. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Try to keep. I, I, you know, one of the other things, uh, another quick trait is keeping it simple. Just yeah. simplify everything. Don't complicate matters. Make things simple. What's the simplest way to succeed and take that route? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, those traits all add up. So hit it on the head. Awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough, Jesse, for taking the time out to work with schedules and everything else and make the time to be here to do this interview. I can't wait to get this out to everyone. And it's just really awesome that you did this for us. So thank you so much. I really want to thank you for the opportunity. It's not always that I get the audience. So uh, again, this is another opportunity for me to express to all the folks that are out there that there's an opportunity for you to become a great leader, to become a great manager. Just let your passion drive you, do the right thing. And these opportunities are few and far between. So thank you very much for the opportunity. And if I can ever help in any way, shape or form, you know, you can reach out to me anytime. I will definitely be taking you up on that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Moving Arizona, the podcast for transportation geeks like me who want to hear from the people who are shaping our industry. It was fascinating to learn about Jesse's background and his approach to management versus leadership, plus the advice of letting your passion drive you and doing the right thing, and then just emulating the people that you admire most as a way to achieve your goals within the industry and not really just within the industry, but in life in general. So thank you, Jesse, for sharing those words of wisdom and taking the time to speak with me today. We wish you nothing but the best. And I cannot wait to see the impact you're going to have on the Maricopa County Department of Transportation. Next up is Rob Stye. Rob is my good friend who happens to be a global technology leader for HDR, and he's going to share his perspective on how to connect technology and transportation. So I can't wait for you to join us back next time. And until then, let's get moving.